Welcome to the People, Purpose, and Profits Business Coaching Podcast with Brian Buck and Kat Park. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the People, Purpose, and Profits Podcast. Uh, we've got, I'm Brian Buck, and you are? Kat. And we like to welcome our very first interview, Mr. Mark Graben. How are you today, Mark? Hey, I'm doing well. It's an honor to be your uh, your first interviewee. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. You want to introduce yourself a little bit, and then we could dive into uh, hearing a little bit more about your story. Sure. Um, there there are twists and turns to the story, so I'll try to give I guess the succinct uh, summary of things. So yeah, you know, I guess going back educationally, I'm an industrial engineer. Um, I've master's degrees in mechanical engineering and business, I thought my career was going to go down a manufacturing leadership career path. And then 15 years ago, as things go, um, I had an opportunity to run a bit of a career experiment. I had an opportunity um, to start doing similar improvement work in healthcare. And I thought, well, this will be a temporary detour and I'll, turn, I'll learn a lot and hopefully make a difference. And 15 years later, I'm still pretty focused on healthcare. So along those lines, I've written a couple of books, including Lean Hospitals and Healthcare Kaizen, which are focused on healthcare continuous improvement. Um, I was the editor and a contributor to a book called Practicing Lean, which is uh, a collection of stories from 15 different authors across different industries. And then the most recent book that I've written and, and published uh, is called Measures of Success, React Less, lead better, improve more. So I've been fortunate that my career has gotten to a point where I can work independently um, as, as a author and a speaker and a coach and a podcaster and, and whatever different things uh, I'm able to get involved in. Great. So, so our show is People, Purpose, and Profits. And just kind of curious on where are your passions around there and, and how do they all inter intersect for you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, with people and purpose, I think some of the passions that were sparked in me early in my career go across different industries. You know, when I started working in manufacturing, I came to believe a couple of things very strongly and I think very deeply. One is that People shouldn't get hurt in their workplace. And in my first job out of college, we were really um, having the struggle with uh, improving safety and ergonomics. I was often very unpopular for being that engineer that was advocating for frontline staff. I, to some, I was probably a troublemaker. Um, but you know, I, I was really uh, troubled by um, kind of, I think, lack of attention um, to safety. And so I, I also came to believe that people shouldn't hate coming to work, right? So the bar needs to be set higher than not being physically injured. <laughs> uh, people shouldn't hate coming to work. We spend enough time at work that people should be engaged and fulfilled. And when I had the opportunity to work in healthcare, I learned, unfortunately, those same passions are still relevant, that people shouldn't be hurt when they go to work in a healthcare setting. But then we have the added dimension of patients should never be hurt inadvertently by preventable systemic errors in healthcare. And again, people shouldn't hate coming to work. <laughs> and I see too much of that, unfortunately, in healthcare, 
uh, people who are, are burned out and frustrated and, and they're not engaged. And then those issues go hand in hand when um, healthcare professionals are not, not feeling safe professionally, when they're not engaged, patient safety suffers. So these are all, I think, very interconnected and consistent purpose through my career. Excellent. That's great. Um, you know, one of the things why, uh, you know, we've been friends for a dozen years. I actually look back and he says it's around 2008 yeah. Uh, yeah. is when we've connected. Um, but we focus on helping other consultants, coaches, and small to medium-sized businesses. But one of the things I've always been impressed with you is you've done so many different things simultaneously. And uh, you know, I think so often my initial concept of a startup or an entrepreneur is you come up with one thing and that's your life's work. But you've done a lot of things and you've done a lot of things well, like it's never been dabbling. You know, like sometimes you've been like part of a contract group or I think right. of the stuff with Kinexus and your own work. So you may want to tell us a little bit about how you kind of got into just being in, involved in so many diverse things and, and what you've loved about that and maybe what the challenge has been. Yeah. That. Well, it's interesting. I think that what you described could be framed positively or negatively, right? It's either a strength <laughs> or a weakness. So thank you for calling it a strength. Um, so I've always I'm, been impressed with it. <laughs> well, thanks. So yeah, maybe I'll delve into that a little bit. So I was a traditional W-2 employee from the beginning of my career in 1995 until um, 2010. And well, I had changed jobs uh, a lot. Um, the longest I've been with one organization was four years at Johnson & Johnson. And then I had the opportunity in 2010 to dip a toe in the water of working independently. So I was fortunate on um, the book Lean Hospitals had come out in 2008 and, and was um, well received and it was being widely read. That led to invitations to come speak. Um, that led to some opportunities since I was no longer consulting with Johnson & Johnson and when I was a part of the team at the Lean Enterprise Institute and Catalysis, they weren't doing consulting. They were doing education and events and what have you. So my transition was to start 50% on my own. So I remained a half-time employee of the Lean Enterprise Institute and Catalysis. And then I went off on my own, just partly to prove and see, could I, uh, how, how was that going to go? Because I had friends who had worked as independent consultants. Um, it sounds exciting or glamorous, but it can be really challenging at times. Or so that pressure is on to not just do work but to sell work and figure out what's next. And after that first half year or that first year at 50%, I decided to go ahead and, and take the plunge into full-time um, independent work. So that'll be coming up. Well, it's been nine years. And, and like you said, um, so I've had many different roles with the company Kinexus since 2011. Um, there was a period, you know, as I was a startup, I was working for equity, sweat equity, if you will. Um, so I have an ownership stake in that company today and made some additional investment. I was a half-time employee for a while. Now I, I work as a, a contractor slash strategic partner of Kinexus. So as, as I like to say, part-time involvement doesn't mean less than full commitment to the company and the cause. Like it's grown from three people to over 20 people, from no revenue to 
um, a couple million in revenue. And, and there's quite a team there, right? So that allows me to continue um, doing different projects. Um, I work, I do some solo consulting and speaking. I sometimes work recently as a subcontractor through a firm value called Value Capture, which I feel very uh, strongly aligned to because they share the same purpose that I do, that nobody should get hurt at work, patients shouldn't get hurt, and they say it differently. But again, paraphrasing, people shouldn't hate going to work. So, you know, I get to do these different things. I get to do new uh, projects like podcasts and, and things. But I'll tell you what though, um, I give credit and thanks and gratitude endlessly to my wife who has a traditional and an amazing uh, corporate career on her own. She's doing things that I would have only dreamed of doing with my first thoughts of a career path. And so because of her success, um, you know, frankly, like our mortgage is not on the line when I take a bit of a, a, a financial hit due to the pandemic. And, and again, I'm not asking anyone to feel sorry for me because all things considered as spouses, as partners, as a family, uh, we're doing fine. But I think without my wife's um, support and encouragement, I wouldn't be able to go do some riskier things and do the things I do. Wow. That's amazing. So what, what kind of advice would you give people? Because I heard you say that you went in 50% uh, to people, because I hear a lot of um, marketing gurus saying, well, you should just go out there, burn the boats and, you know, jump in <laughs> head first. But, you know, at the end of the month, you still have to pay mortgage. You still have to pay the bills. You know, what, uh, what kind of advice would you give people in that situation? So that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, you know, everyone's circumstances are a little bit different. Um, I, you know, and I talked to my wife about this. I talked to people who are mentors of mine. There are two sides to the, uh, my mortgage is not on the line coin. One is I don't have to stress and lose sleep about, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay the mortgage this month? Um, on the flip side of that is if the mortgage was on the line, maybe I would hustle, I would hustle more and I would, you know, I would be more successful in different ways. But, you know, we've, we've found a balance that's comfortable for us. You know, I feel like um, even if during the pandemic, if I'm doing projects that are um, adding value to people, that fulfillment means as much as the profit side of, uh, of my company and my business. Um, I, so I can understand the argument of, look, you know, maybe you should be all in. Um, a, a friend of mine, let me give a shout out to her, Deandra Wardell, um, recently left a full-time job to go in. She's all in on her coaching and, and speaking business. And, you know, I've talked to her about this and, you know, she, um, for her circumstances are different than mine, but she was able to line up her life so she could take that plunge. And I admire that. Um, I, I dipped a toe in the water, which for me seemed like the right thing to do for DeAndre and others. I admire, uh, you know, the, the right thing for them might be to, to be all in and to, uh, to, to, to dive right in. Thank you. Well, you know, one is that wishy-washy enough? I'm sorry. I feel like I said, no, gave a, no. A and I love your cup, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so I really love your cup. Yeah. My favorite mistake. Yes. <laughs> <That's my new laughs> podcast. Subtle plug. Thank you for noticing it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not so subtle. Hi, I'm <laughs> Yes. Well, well, definitely. I, and it's a great podcast, by the way. Your, your first few guests have been amazing. 
Uh, we'll definitely talk about that. But, you know, one of the things I think about with your story, though, is this gig economy. And you've kind of, in a sense, you kind of mastered the gig economy in the fact that you have so many different options and you get a drive through like the different interests, um, you know, like talking to my fellow entrepreneurs, there are so many people that, especially when you first begin, you don't really have it always dialed in. Like I've got a friend of mine who, you know, began kind of the learning organizational development space, but now he does uh, Legos to help people learn to be creative and play at work. But that wasn't something he knew four years ago. And it was through doing different kinds of gigs that he found his, his passion or found other ways that, that build on that, which is pretty cool. That is cool. And like I said, I mean, I think um, the purpose, you know, I try to express that purpose in different ways. And again, for better or for worse, I can follow some paths that may not directly lead to profit. Um, I mean, you know, my business has, has grown and been pretty stable and is profitable and, you know, it has been about on par with having a full-time job as it was before. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the constancy of purpose is, um, oh, a, a quick, quick aside, the, um, that, that phrase, uh, people who have ever read anything from W. Edwards Deming, um, you know, was a quality guru who passed away almost 30 years ago, but one of the greatest influences on me in my life. On my company, the legal name of my company, I don't use it as a brand name or anything, uh, is Constancy Inc. So to me, even if I have different projects and different revenue streams, um, the constancy of purpose is the thing that ties that together. That's great. And yeah, everything I could tie together is you and what you represent, which is really cool. So I hear you talk a, a lot, you know, about different streams of um, revenues. How do you manage the balance? Because I, I do see a lot of people, you know, start out things and then they don't finish. They kind of have, you know, a, a desire for something and then they go for another thing and then they just become overwhelmed and never finish anything. So where is the line that we can draw to, you know, take things to completion, but not add too much to where we experience burnout and. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I try to not take on too many new things all at once. I mean, I try to, you know, level out my work. Um, a lot of people uh, use something, you know, that, that's often called a personal Kanban board to help track ideas and, and to prioritize things and sort of get the, I mean, there are similar approaches um, to checklists and to-do lists of, of getting, instead of these ideas swirling around in your brain constantly, right. of all the things I would like to do, put it down on paper. Exactly. I use scraps of paper. I don't formally put them up on a wall like people would with the Kanban method. I tried to, um, I tried, uh, to limit my work. So my friend Jim Benson, if he's listening, um, Jim, you know, help co-create the personal Kanban methodology. He really advocates this idea of limiting your work in progress. Don't have too many things going on at once. Complete something and then move on to something else. So during the pandemic, um, I've tried to make sure I've had sort of one, sometimes two, like major new things that I was working on. And then others are in the uh, not now or not yet category. 
and then when one of those things um, was was done, then kind of move on to another larger project. And then there's maintenance work and ongoing work with some of the um, the older older projects. So you know, one thing I had to learn was looking at sort of annual patterns and cycles of um, you know my business never brings in the exact same revenue every month. There's seasonality, especially on the speaking side of things. Um, you know, uh, speaking work tends to dry up in the, the summertime and, and between, you know, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and the new year um, for different reasons, budget cycles and, and people being busy. So I've had to plan for that and kind of look at my cash swings throughout the year. And I do pay myself, um, you know, an even amount every quarter um, just to minimize uh, payroll processing overhead and everything instead of paying myself bi-weekly or monthly um you know i just do that quarterly so i've had to in a couple of different ways manage the swings up and down and then try to help manage to your point cat that i don't have too many new things going on at once like i don't want you know these projects to start feeling like a burden somehow like I, there's there's that that fine line of like there's 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 pressure to get things done which can be motivating but not having too much on my plate where it becomes soul crushing. And I love the fact that you did mention that, um, uh, that is, you know, more managing versus actually starting because the starting point is, I think it's the hardest. Would you say, is it safe to say that? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, developing new personal work processes. Um, you know, this year I've launched um, two podcast series. One, was through the firm Value Capture that I mentioned earlier. Um, we launched a podcast called Habitual Excellence. And the process, uh, I hadn't really launched a new podcast in a while. I knew how to do podcasts, but going through that process of launching and, and better managing that podcast really helped me out when I decided then to launch under my own banner, My Favorite Mistake. So I was able to leverage some of that previous work into um, into that new podcast, and and then you know one of the things I'm trying to look at is uh, sort of, you know trying to continually improve the own my, my own craft of interviewing, editing, publishing. Um, you know, so I'm not just doing the exact same thing as I was doing, say, 15 years ago when I first started podcasting. I think you know maybe you know the the, the content and the audio quality and, and things hopefully have had a happy uh, evolution and have gotten better over time. Well, I want to also just say a thank you on the show for giving me some really good ideas on how to prepare our guests uh, for a podcast. You know, it's really good. You know, the fact that having a standard process means it's easier for you, but it means it's easier for the guest as well. So I love that you've taken that continuous improvement and, and applied it to yourself. You don't just coach it and not follow it. You're you're hundred percent committed. Well, but, but, you know, but I'll say like, I don't sound like I have this all perfectly figured out. So one of the, one of the themes in my favorite mistake is to reflect on the idea of learning from mistakes, right? So it's not a podcast where we beat ourselves up or the guest, I'm not browbeating the guest of why did you make a mistake? Like mm -hmm. nobody would come on that mm -hmm. show. But it's really, it's about learning from mistakes. And, you know, I've learned through this process. I've evolved that guest prep guide. Um, I've evolved, like through this podcast, I'm working more with guest bookers who are proposing guests. And now that creates sort of a three-party communication 
where I need to make sure what I've passed along to the guest booker is being passed along to the guest. There was one, one instance where um, something broke down in the communication between guest booker and guest, and the guest was calling me, at least directly, five minutes before the scheduled time saying, where's the Zoom link? Wait, wait, what? What is your show about? And um, we, we kind of struggled through, but the, so a couple of lessons learned was, one, making sure I follow up and, and close the loop a couple of days in advance. I'm like, okay, we're, we're all set, right? We're all ready to go, right? Um, and then the other thing I kind of regret was that even though my gut was saying, and again, this wasn't, I don't think it was this guy's fault, um, mistakes were made. Sorry for the <laughs> passive voice. My gut said, you know what? Hey, you didn't get set up well for this. Um, let's chat for a minute, but let's reschedule until you're better prepared. We kind of decided to plow through and like it went okay. But at the end, my assessment was, you know what? Could we maybe go back and try re-recording that? So I wish I had followed my gut around. And, but now, see, now I've learned. If I run into that situation again, I'm going to feel more confident in saying, you know what, this might be an inconvenience, but this will turn out better for everybody if we figure out where, if there was a communication gap, uh, let, let's solve that, let's reschedule and uh, try to avoid, um, you know, a guest being uncomfortable in the podcast. And that's how we grow. That's how yeah. we grow. And that's one of my favorite. That's the thing about not being um, defensive or blaming others. Like, you know, there, there are mistakes that I've made uh, at different points where I gladly own up to that mistake. You know, and I really love that you brought that up because a lot of people do get stuck right there. You know, others would have given up or, you know, would have made up a story that just really uh, disqualifies them. So it's really important to, to make sure that what happens in your mind afterwards is the right conversation. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. One of my favorite quotes is Nelson Mandela. I either win or I learn. I never fail. <laughs> and I just, it, to me, it just coincides so well with your show. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what this new podcast is and kind of how it came about and, and maybe your vision going forward and how people can uh, connect to it? Yeah, so again, it's called, I'll take a sip. I put water in a coffee mug strategically, right? A, a clear glass wouldn't promote anything. Um, so those who are listening uh, to, the, to the podcast, yeah, they're going to have to maybe picture the mug. But yeah, I mean, so wherever people are listening to this podcast, they can also go and listen, you know, search for my favorite mistake. Um, so I mentioned guest bookers. And so there are PR firms that will reach out to podcasters and, and propose um, guests. So the, the podcast that I've done for about 15 years is very niche focused around the idea of lean manufacturing or lean healthcare, lean startups. And often somebody would propose a guest and I thought, well, that person sounds interesting. I would love to interview them, but it's not, it doesn't really fit the boundaries of my podcast. Um, at least, you know, not to where I was going to stretch the boundaries of it. Um, and so I was saying no to a lot of guests. And um, you know, I started kind of thinking of, uh, well, how can I say yes? So somebody reached out maybe back in May and pitched uh, as a guest, Kevin Harrington, who was one of the original sharks on the show Shark Tank. Like, I'm not a shark head. I don't know what the, the hardcore fans of that show are called. I've watched it a bunch. I get it. But um, and I thought, wow, that would be cool to interview someone from Shark Tank. 
And so the PR person actually went back and forth and said, well, I can't say yes with my existing podcast, but what would sound good? I had a couple of ideas, including my favorite mistake. And she responded really positively to that, um, that he and his co-author for this new book were willing to come on my favorite mistake. And, and, and I think it's great when somebody who is really successful um, is looked up to by a lot of people. They're always being asked for advice and how do you do everything so well? The fact that they're willing to open up about mistakes um, is maybe comforting to, to others that um, they've learned from those mistakes and mistakes don't have to um, get in the way of our progress and, and continued growth. So, um, so that was the first guest. And then I reached out because I had a bit of a personal connection um, and had met him before. Um, and I thought, hey, what's the worst that could happen? So I re you know, if I asked. So I went and invited uh, a congressman, uh, Representative Will Hurd from Texas. He's not running for re-election. He's decided to, to leave the House after three terms. But I reached out and I thought, well, okay, if he says no, that's all, oh, that was almost my expected outcome, <laughs> right? So it wasn't going to hurt my feelings. He's a congressman. Why would he come on some you know, brand new podcast? And he, he and his comms team said yes. I'm like, okay, wow. So I, you know, he talked about um, his favorite mistake was something he learned from losing his first congressional campaign. And again, this is somebody who's incredibly accomplished and is going to continue doing amazing things in his life. But yet, guess what? He's made mistakes and you can even call it a big mistake. And he owned up to it. He didn't blame political consultants. He didn't whine. He didn't make excuses. He said clearly, I made these tactical and strategic errors. And because of that, I lost the runoff election. Mm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I found that really, uh, I, I found that really inspiring. And so those are the types of things that we're trying to cover on the show. It's not called my biggest mistake, because that might be sad or depressing. Right. It's really yeah. <laughs> my favorite mistake. And it's a favorite mistake generally, because it's something that we've learned from. And maybe we can look back and laugh about um, because some time has passed. But that's the idea of the podcast, my favorite mistake. I love it. And I would actually really want to venture out to ask you if um, out of all the people that passed, um, who would you like to, like if they were alive and you could ask them about their favorite mistake, who would, who would that be? Oh, gosh. Um, right. That opens up a whole wide range of possibilities, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, what, I, I, mean I, I mentioned um, Dr. Deming earlier. Um, I, I never had the chance to meet him um, when, he, when he was alive. I've talked to, I've done a lot of podcasts with people who worked with him. Um, I, I, I regret, you know, I, it's not a regret, but I wish I would have had the opportunity um, to have met him in person. Um, so yes, so maybe I'll just go back to Dr. Deming um, as somebody who was um, very accomplished and is still remembered and, and you know, inspires a lot of people to this day. Um, so maybe he, he comes to mind because we were talking about him, but yeah. Um, who else would I want to talk to? My favorite mistake. Um, all right, I don't know. Here, here's here's, here's an oddball thing that comes. Uh, I, I would also want to interview um, um, Babe Ruth comes oh. to mind for some reason. Like, so you know, uh, he, you know, was one of the greatest baseball players of all time, was also, uh, you know, controversial or, mm -hmm. you know, some of it because of his actions, some of it because of um, 
Uh, it's a complicated story. There's a, there's a book I've read called Breaking Babe, which is really interesting about um, how Babe, Babe Ruth had almost gotten too popular to the point where baseball owners were threatened by him. And instead of building him up as a star of their sport, there was this concerted effort to, to really kind of um, tear him down. Um, he's also, the other reason Babe Ruth comes to mind is that he's, gosh, I don't know, uh, exactly in the family tree. He's a not too distant relative of my wife. There is, oh, a, wow. oh, there is a Ruth <laughs> side of her family. So like her great grandmother and Babe Ruth's father were, I don't know, they were, they were, they were cousins or something like that. So, um, so Babe Ruth's been kind of an interesting family figure to dig into a little bit. So yeah, I would have, if I could, I'd go back and ask Babe Ruth, what was your favorite mistake? <laughs> That's powerful. Well, I hope being on this podcast isn't one of your favorite mistakes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope me telling some rambling stories there wasn't. <laughs> oh, no, these are, these are great. Like, it's, it's so fun to just hear about your entrepreneurial journey and kind of your heart and spirit of, you know, really focus on that safety and improvement, Mark. So thank you so much. Um, we will both on YouTube and our audio podcast, we'll leave a link to your podcast so people can find it. But is there any other ways that you'd want people to be able to connect with you? Uh, sure. So on uh, my website um, that, that has links to all the different things that I do is markgraben.com. People can also go to my favorite mistake podcast.com, which is a really long URL. Maybe that's a mistake. Um, I don't know. Com coming on here today, from my standpoint, was certainly not a mistake. And I hope you don't think it was a, a mistake to invite me. <laughs> no, not at all. I really loved it. Well, well, thank you so much. And uh, we will look forward to uh, sharing what you did with the, with the world. So thank oh. you very much, Mark. Sure thing. I Take look care. forward to listening and watching more of your episodes. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Thank you.